G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. There was no time before God created time. God is an eternal being. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear the first message in a new series on the book of Revelation. Pastor Jeff explains the purpose of Revelation and why it was such an encouragement to the Christians living in John's day in his message called Revelation 1. It's all a setup. John writes the letter of Revelation as an encouragement to the first century Christians. If the letter he wrote got in the wrong hands, it would increase the persecution. So he writes it in a way that it didn't matter if it got into the wrong hands because it's written in code. is today with Jeff Bynes. Folks, we began an epic journey. And this is going to last some 12 weeks. And we're going to go through one of the most amazing books in the Bible. Matter of fact, the only book I know of in the Bible that says you'll actually be blessed just by reading it. And because in the first century, when they talked about reading the Bible or reading a book, they talked about standing and reading. You'd always have someone, because they didn't have the Bibles like we do, stand up and actually read it in public. And the Bible says when you read the book of Revelation, a special blessing would fall on the reader. This is a powerful book, a powerful book that can change the way you look at your life, the way you look at the world, the way you look at God, the way you look at death, the way you look at life, all of it. And we've entitled this series, The End of the Beginning, which is quite strange, isn't it? What do we mean by that? Well, it's taken from the quote by C.S. Lewis on the last page of the Chronicles of Narnia when he says, for us, this is the end of all stories, referring to losing someone that we love. It's the end of all stories for us, but for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page, and now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. The book of Revelation is going to describe to you that whether you know it or not, uh, your life here on planet Earth is such a short blimp on the screen of eternity. If you think about our time here in your life, before we had eternity, and if you know anything about eternity, it goes on for infinity. It has no beginning. And after our life here on planet Earth, there's another eternity that goes that direction. If you were to take a string and stretch it from here in San Dimas all the way to London, somewhere over the Atlantic, there would be a little dot on that string that would represent the totality and span of your life. The Bible tries to get you to see that your time here is so short, 70, 80 years. In comparison with eternity, it's just a blimp on the screen of all time. As a matter of fact, time is something God himself created. Do you understand that? There was no time before God created time. God is an eternal being. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is. And the Hebrews, the Jews, knew exactly what that meant when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Mother, I had no beginning. I have always been. So the book of Revelation is trying to get you to understand that this little dot right here is what the book of Revelation is concerned with. Now, if we take that dot and we break it down, 
The Bible is written in apocalyptic literature, at least the book of Revelation. Apocalyptic literature means that you interpret or you try to apply the word to your life figuratively first, literally second. Now, every other book of the Bible, most books of the Bible, you look for the literal meaning first. Revelation is not so. It falls in a type of genre. It it falls in a type of literature called apocalyptic literature, which means when we look at it, we look for the figurative meaning first. So in the book of Revelation, just to get you started, now stay with me. We build a foundation here. We're going to have a great time together, but this is like geometry class. You miss the first day, man, you're in trouble. It's going to be hard to catch up. And so if you, if some of this is confusing at first, you say, I'm going to go back and watch this and I'm going to get this so that I can go with Pastor Jeff all the way through the book of Revelation. And don't worry, I know you want to talk about Armageddon and the Antichrist and the beast of the earth and the sea and the great harlot. We'll get there, but you can't understand those until you lay the foundation. All of history then, all of human history is represented in the Bible in apocalyptic literature in seven years. That is, three and a half years between the time God created the world and Jesus came and split time in half, and three and a half years between the time Jesus established his kingdom until he returns to take those who are his own with him, where God will be their God and they will be his people. So you're going to see numbers all the way through the book of Revelation, but they all mean the same thing. You're going to see the number 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. You're going to see 1260 days. How long is 1260 days? Three and a half years. You're going to see time, times, and half a time. Time one year, times two years, and a half a year. Three and a half years. All of which then represent half of human history. The time that Jesus established his kingdom until the time he returns. And the book of Revelation is going to place a special emphasis on the last years just before the return of Jesus Christ. And so you say, well, if that's true, then what is the purpose? If there's a little dot here on all of eternity, and that's where we live, and it's so minuscule in comparison to all of eternity, and God creates this. And by the way, I spoke with a scientist, uh, Dr. Hugh Ross, or at least one of his, uh, the members of his organization and uh, reasons to believe. And it's interesting that scientists tell us that we're not only living in a time where the universe is so massive, but we're living in a time when we're able to see that it's so massive. God placed us here in this time and this place so that we could see his handiwork. Now that brings me to the point, why is human history? What is the point of this dot on the blimp of the screen? And the Bible tells us that the reason we're here is because of this idea of the divine romance that you've heard me mention before. As a matter of fact, let's all say that together on the count of three. One, two, three, divine romance. Do it again. One, two, three, divine romance. Now this time with vigor, as my Hebrew professor used to say, with vigor. Okay, one, two, three, divine romance. The point of this whole thing is that God is compelling us toward him in relationship. It's not that he's lonely. The Bible talks about a triune God, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit. There is perfect unity and community within the Trinity. God does not create you and me because out of, out of some need he has, he creates us out of a desire because ultimately he is love. He wants to share that love with billions and billions of people. And so he creates this time in this place for you and me and all of our life. God draws us into romance. Every time you see the oceans and the mountains and the streams and anything that makes you just have this awesome sense of wonder inside, it is God drawing you in to know that there's something beyond yourself. My friend, Dr. Ravi Zacharias, the first time he stood at the most southern tip of South Africa, and I've been there, Mount Tabor Mountain, I've been there myself. This is where two oceans meet. It's some of the most... uh, Uh, catastrophic waters in the world. And as he stood there looking over this beautiful expanse, he said, I had this overwhelming urge to thank somebody. 
G.K. Chesterton said, if my children have Santa to think for putting candy into their stockings, who do I have to think for putting two feet into mine? God is forever compelling you. There's a sense of beyond in you. This whole purpose of this little blimp on the screen of eternity, the time in which humanity will live on planet earth, is so that God will draw us into relationships. Some will receive, some will resist. Those who receive, eternity is about living with the God that you sought, that you pursued, where God is your God and he will be your people. Now, what is, or we will be his people, what, what is the point then of revelation? How does it all fit into this? Here's the point. Revelation is the description of the types of events that are going to happen from this time, translated over here to a seven-year period with special emphasis on the time, the time after Jesus established his kingdom until the time he returns and sets it up and we will rule with him. Now, why does John write in code? You're gonna see a lot, we're gonna see some strange creatures in this book, dragons and beasts and swords and angels and demons and things that go bump in the night. Why would he write in code? And the answer is because after the Nero and persecution, Domitian comes in as the emperor of Rome and he has a policy of genocide. He's much like ISIS. It is his intention to annihilate Christianity from the empire, to kill all Christians. So Christians are torn in two by wild animals. They are covered with pitch and set on fire. Their arms and legs are tied to horses and the horses sent in an opposite direction. They were torn literally limb from limb. There were holes drilled in their head and then molten lead would be poured in. The torture, they would impel them while they're still alive. I remember my first trip to Rwanda after the genocide there. I remember the first thing you notice is the hollowness in the eyes of people, the sense of hopelessness. John writes the letter of Revelation. It's important to know this as an encouragement to the first century Christians. If the letter he wrote got in the wrong hands, it would increase the persecution. So he writes it in a way that it didn't matter if it got into the wrong hands because it's written in code. But the interesting thing, the code is easily breakable because the Christians understood the code because the image is from the Old Testament. So the more understanding you have of the Old Testament, the easier it is to read the book of Revelation. I'm not saying that any man or woman can tell you everything about Revelation. It is apocalyptic literature, which means this. When you're reading apocalyptic literature, you go by the rule that you look for the figurative first, the literal second. The other thing is most apocalyptic literature in the time John is writing is what we call cyclical. Cyclical means this, that the writer will put some symbols on a stage He will communicate a truth to his audience. He will wipe the stage clean, put different symbols on the stage, but he will communicate the same message he communicated before. And he goes round and round and round with different symbols, different metaphors, but the message is the same. This is Today with Jeff Vines. You're listening to Revelation 1, the first message in a new series on the book of Revelation. Let's continue now with Pastor Jeff. There are some things I'm going to say during this series. If you've studied the book of Revelation a lot or you're a big fan of some particular interpretation, there are times you're going to love me and there are times you're going to hate me because you're going to be uh, somewhat uh, frustrated that, well, that's not the way I've heard it. The thing about Revelation is there are uniformities. There are things we agree on and those are the things I'm really going to center on, but there are also things we don't agree on. 
And that's just the way the book of Revelation is. Let me tell you something that's off limits. There's a preacher in Ohio that spoke on Revelation. He left his church and one of his parishioners shot him. That's off limits. No shooting the preacher. I will tell you this, that if you'll be patient sooner or later in this series, your questions will be answered. But for now, let's just understand that together this is apocalyptic literature. And why on earth, why on earth would John write a book to Christians who needed to be encouraged and put it in a code that they could not understand? You with me? Now, just to give you a little example of this, for you and me, when I hold these two things up, I've got an elephant here and a donkey, the best, closest I could get to a donkey. When I hold these two up, what do you think of That's politics, right? Democrats and Republicans. You think of that because you live in the context of modern day culture. The same thing is true for the first century Christians. There are signs and symbols that as soon as they see them, they know what it means. Like when they see a lion, they know what that represents. That's why C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia had a lion, Aslan, as the Christ figure. Uh, so they know, you may not know, but they, you're going to run into numbers all through Revelation. Numbers don't mean a lot to you, but when they see these numbers or multiples of those numbers, they know what it means. The number seven, they know means completion. The number 10, perfection. That's why when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? What did Jesus say? Seven times 70. Uh, is it 490? No. What does he mean? He takes the multiples of seven, which means perfection, and 10, which means completion. And basically, it's a symbolic number to mean this, as long as it takes. When you see 144,000 in Revelation chapter 7, you're not looking for a literal 144,000 people that are going to make it to heaven. You're looking for just some symbolism. If you think, for instance, the number 10 again represents completion or perfection, the number 12 represents the people of God, 12 disciples, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, and so on. 12 tribes, you go on and on. 12 represents the people of God. So if you put 12 and 10 and multiples of those together, you'll come up with 144,000. It's the Bible's way of trying to say all God's people will be in heaven with God. You with me? When you meet two witnesses in Revelation 11, that's taken from Mark chapter 6 verse 7, and he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. When Jesus sent the disciples out, he sent them out two by two. When you meet two witnesses, you're not looking for two literal people or figures in history. You're looking for the work of the church throughout human history from the time Jesus established his kingdom until the time he returns. Now, don't worry if you're not getting all this. I will repeat it numerous times throughout the series, but it's a great start. Now, as we begin chapter one, it's kind of like the first stage has been set and there's a metaphor, there's a symbol on the stage and whatever it was, it greatly encouraged the people of John's day who were being persecuted, slaughtered and killed every day. What could you possibly say to people who are dying those kind of deaths? What could you say to them that would encourage them? Because the reality is we also know that the church grew exponentially during this time of persecution. There was an early church father by the name of Tertullian that said the church was planted by the doctrine of the apostles and watered plentiful by the blood of the saints. What's he saying? He's saying that every time a Christian died for his or her faith, the church just grew. It was like fertilizer. And what encouraged and what drew people in was the way in which they faced their deaths. When they died, they had a smile on their face. Now, they weren't ludicrous. They weren't loony. They weren't crazy. They just knew something that the rest of the world did not yet know. And the logic goes, if whatever John said encouraged them to be able to overcome their trials, I think you and I can overcome whatever it is we face today. I mean, after all, nobody's trying to kill us, right? Matter of fact, I haven't mentioned this, but I'll mention I've I've had the flu most of this week. That'll 
cause some of you to hesitate to come talk to me after the service. Uh, I've got a great wife when it comes to this. I said to her on Saturday, I said, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it this weekend. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to preach. And she goes, is somebody trying to kill you? I said, no. She goes, suck it up, be a man, get up and preach your sermons. <laughs> that's, the kind of, that's the kind of wife I have. What is it that they saw? What is it that they saw? Let me tell you what they saw. John gave them a vision of the cosmic Christ. I want us to all say that on the count of three. Cosmic Christ. One, two, three. Cosmic Christ. One, two, three. Cosmic Christ. In Revelation 1 verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now stay with me here. Here's what encouraged them right out of the starting gate. They saw Jesus as the Alpha point to their lives. Now, you know what alpha is, right? It's the first letter of the Greek alphabet, correct? And John says, he is alpha, the first letter, and he's omega, which is what? The last letter of the Greek alphabet. For you and me, we thought, man, that's interesting. That, that whole, holds a lot of truth, but I don't think we quite understand what he's saying. In our alphabet, I've got a little chart here. This, these are the ABCs, as you can tell. We won't sing the song, but you go round and round. And as, as you look at the ABCs in the English language, there is a real sense in which we can say that every thought and all wisdom is contained within these confines because these letters are what we use in an infinite number of ways, it seems, to communicate the truth and the knowledge of what we're saying. When John says he is the Alpha and Omega, he's the beginning of the end, John is saying, remember who Jesus is. All knowledge, all wisdom is wrapped up in the confines of Jesus and who he is. It all starts with him, it all ends with him, and everything in between is about him. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Along those same lines, in this same chapter 1, we meet the Son of Man in verse 13. The Son of Man we know is Jesus, but yet he's described in verse 14 like this. His head and hair were like white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Now what makes this so impressive is that's an exact replication of what we find in the book of Daniel describing the Ancient of Days. But the Ancient of Days is God. Do you realize that right here in Revelation, they would have heard something you and I miss? And it's this, Jesus is God. He started all things. Through him all things have been made for him and his purposes all things exist. He holds all things together. Now at first you hear that and it doesn't motivate you that much. You say, okay, great, now I know that. But wait, do you understand? When he puts these two thoughts together he's saying this that everything originates from christ everything ends in christ and because he's god he stands outside of time and space and is not limited any way by it which means that if you're here god is here with you but more importantly that no matter where you're headed god is already there He's not limited by time and space because time and space is a created thing. So I don't know where your life's going to take you, but I can tell you this, wherever you're going, he's already standing there now. God is fully present in every situation and in every time period. He's here with you now, but he's also here with you in the future. So no matter what road you travel, no matter how much pain or suffering you endure, God's already there. He's waiting on you. The date is on his calendar. And he's going to walk you through whatever he calls you to endure. That would have encouraged the people of John's day. They would have understood God is present in every situation. And no matter what I face, if I end up dying a martyrdom's death, I know that I will not be alone. That God had that date on his calendar. He knows the numbers of the hairs on my head. He knows the days of my life. I will not walk alone. In fact, he's there waiting on me now. And he's going to walk with me through it. And that would have encouraged them. 
They understood they would never die alone, that God would put that date on his calendar and he would never stand you up. And if he's alpha, it also means that he's uncreated. Notice he's not the beta. He's alpha. There's nothing before him. There's nothing that precedes him. This indeed is the most comprehensive verse in the Bible about the deity of Christ, that he's God in the flesh, that he's Emmanuel, that he is self-existing. Now, let's take a little breath here and let me talk to some of you who've come to this series. You're not really a Christian yet and you're really contemplating all this and you wanted to come to this series to see how crazy these Christians really are. And I want to tell you how crazy we really are. Even if you're not a believer, you know down deep inside that there is an alpha point. There is a beginning. Science for years thought that the universe was eternal, that it had no beginning, no end. The problem is the more we studied the universe and God's handiwork, we began to realize that there is a beginning point, that the universe had a beginning point and it's been expanding ever since at a rapid rate. Well, that causes problems. Because now you have to ask if the universe has a beginning point, who began it? (laughs) The universe cannot create itself. And so the answer of the Christians is, well, we know that's God. And you say, how do you know that? Because non-material creates material. Material doesn't create material. You've got to have a first cause. And God, by definition, is self-existing. He has no beginning, he has no end, he's always been around. Well, you say, well, I, have, I find that hard to fathom. Well, you didn't have that hard time fathoming that with the universe. But when it comes to God, you have trouble. You say, well, I, I, just, I just can't understand that. Who made God then? Well, that's the point. If somebody made God, he wouldn't be God. Whoever made God would be God. God is self-existing. By definition, that's what we mean by the term God. Someone who does not depend on anything outside of himself to exist. He is self-existing. The early Christians, when they heard that Jesus was the alpha, the beginning, the point of origin, and the end, they knew what that meant. That God had indeed revealed himself in Jesus Christ and had validated who Jesus was by the resurrection. That's why in verse 5 of chapter 1 you read, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Folks, if you die and you come back to tell about it, then you're the boss. You are the ruler over all kings and kingdoms. And because Jesus was their alpha point, the point of origin, they recognized that everything then that happens on planet earth is for the glory of God. Everything is for him. Everything is about him. Everything is through him. Everything originates from him. And all of your life must be viewed in the context of what God in Christ is doing and has done. Without a point of reference, life makes absolutely no sense. So let me tell you how crazy we Christians are. You ready? Christians actually call for intellectual honesty. We think you should be coherent in your worldview. That if there is no transcendent alpha point, if we're here because of time plus matter plus chance, there's no meaning in your life. There's no purpose in your life. There's no morality on planet earth. If there's no transcendent alpha point, then there's no ultimate meaning in the beginning and there's no ultimate meaning in the end. And if there's no ultimate meaning in the beginning and there's no ultimate meaning in the end, then there's no ultimate meaning in between. Jesus is the alpha point. And if you think we're the result of time plus matter plus chance, the Christian's going to say this to you. You say that, but you don't live like that.
This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're halfway through his message, Revelation 1. It's all a setup. Join us next time to hear part two about the last book of the Bible and God's revelation. Your whole life is a setup for the glory of God, and that's why by the time we get to Revelation 4, there is a constant 24 hour worship service going on. To hear more now, you can head to the Vision website. That's vision.org.au and click on Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.